The Dub Dub Review Podcast is proud to have two great sponsors, the Magic for Less Travel Agency and the Theme Park Brothers. The Magic for Less is an authorized Disney vacation planner. Let the agents for the Magic for Less, including our very own Laura Fitzpatrick, help take care of the important details like dining reservations, fast pass planning, and discount checking to ensure that your next Disney vacation will create memories to last a lifetime. Plus, their services are completely free. You pay nothing and can benefit from their years of knowledge and experience. More information can be found on themagicforless.com. We've also partnered up with the Theme Park Brothers. Michael, Jordan, Cameron, and Christina Black have some of the nicest quality Orlando attraction videos on YouTube. Subscribe and check out their latest videos, which are sure to keep you entertained, as well as keep you informed of all the latest changes to the Walt Disney World Resort. Search for the Theme Park Brothers on Facebook and YouTube, and at Theme Park Boys on Twitter. Hello, and welcome to the WW Review. I'm your host, Chris Malik, and I'm joined by my co-host, Peter Ponacorvo. How you doing, Pete? Good, Chris. How about you? I'm doing well. Pete, today is a super exciting day for us. We have a, a, a fantastic guest, and I want to introduce him because, honestly, I want to get some trivia out there, and I need an expert. So That ain't me. That ain't you. Well, we got an expert. So we're going to voyage. We're going to journey all the way across the country and talk about Disneyland today. So uh, I guess we'll go with the trivia second because I'm dying to introduce our guest to start off with. So he is Dr. Disneyland. So what does that mean to you? It's an esteemed author and our friend, his name is Jeff Barnes. Jeff, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We couldn't be any better. So. Awesome. Jeff, you know what? I want to take one minute here because, you know, a lot of our listeners actually know who you are. But in case you're not aware of who Jeff is, I want to read from your website and give everyone just a little idea of who we're talking with today. So if I could be so bold as to read right from your site. So Jeff Barnes is an author and professional keynote speaker. He's a higher education administrator, a university professor and a leadership success coach. He has over 35 years of professional speaking experience and nearly 25, I'm sorry, 20 years experience leading teams in higher education and 20 over 20 different college courses in both the traditional classroom and online, including the history of Disneyland. It's a course at California Baptist University in Riverside, California. So he attributes his passion to Disneyland for his love of history, story, and success. Jeff, I could read on and on and on, but we're gushing, and I'm just happy as heck to have you on today. So, Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you guys today as well. All right. You ready for a little trivia? Because Pete and I always start off with a little trivia. Sure. All right. So on Sunday, July 17th, 1955, was the day Disneyland was open to the public. So one of the more interesting interesting notes that day is that because of a plumber strike, both the restrooms and the, the drinking fountains could not be ready by opening day. Walt had to choose. Do you guys know, what did he choose? Did he choose the restrooms or the drinking fountains? I remember what he chose because it was in it was in Jeff's book. 
All right, Jeff, you got the advantage here. So what, what did he choose? <laughs> well, he uh, he chose the restrooms under the rationale that people could drink soda, but they couldn't go to the bathroom in the street. And uh, regardless, the, the press sort of skewered him um, because they saw that as sort of a ploy to get people to spend as much money in the park as possible. And then ironically enough, on July 18th, when Disneyland opened not to the press and the media, the VIPs and the celebrities that July 17th was all about, but July 18th, which was really the official public opening for Disneyland, uh, Roy would tell a story of how traffic was backed up for six or seven miles on that Monday. And when he finally got to the Disneyland parking lot, there were so many people there who had been waiting so long to get into the gates that he actually saw children peeing in the parking lot. And folks were really, really upset about it. But Roy knew that these were paying customers. And so his response was, God bless them, let them pee. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get off the peeing topic. I I got some more trivia for you. All right, so the original name of the Astro Orbiter. What was the original name of the Astro Orbiter? Pete? Ooh, wow. Jeff, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you work today. Is it the Rocket Jets? Is it the Tomorrowland Jets? Is it Rocket Rods? Or is it the Astro Jets? Rocket Jets. Yeah, I'm going with Rocket Jets. Mm, according to a website called, and everything on the internet's correct, Jeff. All right, just so you know, oh, yeah. we've never oh, seen yeah. anything incorrect on the internet. According to ProProfs.com, which is a quiz site, Astro Jets was the original name. Hmm. So that's interesting. I knew it wasn't Rocket Rods. How, no. How old was Walt when Disneyland opened? What was the age? Is well, it? That, that's easy for me because it's the same age that I am right now, and that's fifty. 50- 53. See, Pete, we got an expert amongst us. Right? I'm glad he's here to bail me out today, too, because I had no idea. He's bailing. And here's my last one. This is, a, this is a fun one, and actually I knew this. So, which of these famous celebrities worked in the magic shop on Main Street? Let's see. Do you even need me to give you the, the, the names, Pete? Or are you aware of the famous celebrity that worked in the magic shop? Um, I don't. I'm not aware. All right. Jeff, do you need to give me the names, or are you aware of the famous celebrity working in the magic shop on Main Street? I, I believe we know him as a wild and crazy guy, right? Oh, okay. I do guy. know who that is, then. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. So I appreciate you bearing with us while we go through our trivia, but in truth of the matter is we're excited to have you on because, Jeff, you know, Jeff, you produced a book a while ago. It's called The Wisdom of Walt. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, it's thewisdomofwalt.com. You can find more information on Jeff and the book. So back early in, early in 2016, I ordered the book. We started communicating, and I started reading it, and I finished it from cover to cover as well as the audiobook version. I know, Pete, you did the same. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of the highlights of our year just to simply have you on. So let's start off. How did uh, – Pete, you had a question about this, right? You were talking about this earlier with me. Yeah, I was I'm, – Jeff, I'm curious. I mean, what – what thing got you to the – what brought your love of Disney to the point where it would cause you to write a book, convince the the educational um, institution you were with at the time to allow you to put together a course for credit about Disneyland? I mean, I'm a Disney nut. Jeff – I mean, I know Chris is a Disney nut, but 
I can't imagine trying to go to my boss and say, hey, look, <laughs> here's what I want to do. I know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a college professor, but I really want to teach the kids about Disneyland. How, how did that come to be? Well, I, I sort of have two passions and, and two obsessions. And, and one is, is Walt Disney and, and, and any Disney park, whether it's Disneyland, Disney World, or, or even some of the international park. We haven't been to all of them, but we have been to a couple. And then uh, the other arena where I'm really interested and really passionate is what does it take to be successful? What does it take uh, to be a leader? What does it take uh, to live an awesome life? And I eventually came to the realization that regardless of the life lesson, regardless of the leadership lesson, regardless of the success principle, they were all on display either in Walt's life or through the stories that are told at Disneyland or through the creation of Walt Disney World. And so eventually I, you know, sort of had this idea, if you will, that it, it could be possible to marry the two. I'm Dean of Student Success at California Baptist University in Riverside. And, you know, I'm often challenged to, you know, sit down with young people and try to connect with them in terms of what working, what's working and, and, and what isn't working and what are your goals and, you know, why are you here and what is your dream for, for moving forward? And the challenge is, you know, particularly at a, at a younger age, those life lessons and those leadership principles can be rather boring and, you know, folks will, will turn you off real quick if they sense that you're just coming at them like a parent or you're coming at them like, like another teacher. But we all love Disney and here in Southern California, we all love Disney. Disneyland. And so I realized, wow, you know, if I could get that same message across to our students, but use Disneyland as the vehicle for doing it, then maybe students will actually set up. Maybe they'll actually pay attention. Maybe they'll actually apply what I'm trying to learn and make those changes necessary to see their own success and their own dreams come true. And that's really sort of where the idea was born. Well, I know I'm, I'll be turning 40 um in this next coming year here so and i found it to be very interesting even at my age so yeah i've been trying to put some of these um tact i don't know if tactics is the right word but principles principles there thank you chris some of these principles in the in the practice in my own life so yeah well and i and i think another key part of the story is you know, the idea of convincing an academic institution to buy off on a college course about an amusement park wasn't an easy idea. It, it, in fact, the, the second I thought of it, um, I, I immediately wanted to back away from it because, well, I, I didn't want to lose my faculty job for pitching what I instantly recognized was a Mickey Mouse idea. <laughs> and, you know, I, I tell folks in my presentation that you know, even though we want to back away from our crazy ideas, even though we don't want to take action on our dreams, that doesn't mean that our dreams let us go. In fact, our dreams are a lot like the hitchhiking ghost at the Haunted Mansion. They follow us home. They'll distract us in the middle of the day. They'll wake us up in the middle of the night. And so for several years, I was haunted by this idea of a college-level course on uh, the history of Disneyland, so much so that one afternoon when I was leaving the university campus, I uh, realized that I had absentmindedly left my iPhone on the roof of the car because as I was walking to my vehicle, I was just distracted about this dream of which I had done nothing about. 
And as I raced back to, you know, hopefully recover and rescue my iPhone, I then discovered in my distracted thinking, I had not only left my phone on the roof of the car, but I had left my iPad as well. And that was sort of that inciting moment where I was so upset and I was so angry that I made a decision. And the decision was there was never going to be another day that I didn't work on my dream building that college course on the history of Disneyland. And I think for a lot of folks, they have ideas, they have crazy thoughts, they have dreams, but they're not yet convinced enough to really begin taking action. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of haunted by the idea, not just of a college course on Disneyland, but the thought that, wow, you know, Walt created an entirely new and different world. He changed our world based on the single thought and the single idea of a place where parents and children can have fun together while he was sitting on a park bench with his two young girls at Griffith Park in the 1940s. Well, what if Walt didn't believe in himself? What if he didn't believe in his idea? What if Walt had never taken action? And so, you know, we have a listener, we have a reader out there who I genuinely believe has an idea, a crazy thought, a dream that could very much change the world. And if we can inspire them, if we can motivate them, to take action, then I believe I've done my job. Well said, Jeff. Jeff, I'm interested in, even before this, even before the educational part of your life developed, I'm interested in your childhood. What was your <laughs> first, yeah, what was your first childhood memory? I mean, we all can trace it back. You know, I, I know from, you know, previous shows with Pete and, and, and myself, how it just blossomed in our life. What's your first and best memory of Disneyland? What's your, what, what's your first memory of going to the park? Well, I don't have a childhood memory of going to Disneyland. I actually started in Florida at Walt Disney World. I was nine years old in, in, in 1974. But before we tell that story, I, I think for me it's actually a little bit deeper than that. Um, I, I was actually born in Reno, Nevada, and uh, my parents uh, had, had come from Virginia. Uh, my dad was uh, a, a young recruit in the United States Air Force, and so they made a single trip from Reno to Los Angeles in 1960. And as part of that trip, they, like anyone who went to California in 1960, they went to Disneyland. And my mother was a wonderful storyteller. And I can remember growing up listening to the stories that she would tell about that one trip to Disneyland. In fact, uh, she had a puzzle that she had purchased at the park that, for whatever reason, became sort of a favorite toy for me. And so some of my earliest memories, some of my fondest memories are putting that puzzle together, a, a map of Disneyland, and then setting up my model railroad around that puzzle as if it were the train that circles the park itself. And so, you know, even though I didn't go to Disneyland first, I, I think, you know, the ideas and the stories of Disneyland were placed in my heart long before I actually walked into any Magic Kingdom. But then when we finally did get to go in 1974, I, I still remember vividly stepping onto Main Street and instantly connecting with this idea that this this is perfect. Uh, wh why can't all of life, why can't the entire world be exactly the way that it is when you step onto Main Street? And so uh, o over time, you know, as we kept going back to Disney World, whether it was another family vacation Boy Scout trip, band trip, it, it really didn't matter. I was inevitably the kid who was most excited. I was always the one 
who is counting down the days looking forward to that return trip to the vacation kingdom uh, of the world. And I, I made my last visit to Walt Disney World as a, as a teenager on grad night in May of 1981 and would not actually get to Disneyland until I was a grad student in California in August of 1988. And to be honest with you, based on my memories from my childhood and my experiences in Florida, my first day at Disneyland was a disaster. I hated it. If you had told me that night, look, you're going to fall in love with this place. You're going to teach a college course. You're going to write a book. I I would have said you were absolutely crazy. Uh, But what happened was I lived in California long enough to discover, wow, this place means something way more to locals in California than Walt Disney World means to locals in Florida. And I also stayed in California long enough to realize I, I must have missed something here. And so the reader and the researcher came out on me, and that's when I came to discover Walt wasn't born successful. Uh, he had a very difficult childhood. He failed way, way more often than he ever succeeded. And when it came to Disneyland, he didn't just speak the words Magic Kingdom, and it magically appeared out of an orange grove in Anaheim. He faced all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of adversity, all sorts of obstacles. And so it was my love for that story that helped me fall in love with Walt's original park. Wow. Now, Jeff, as I read the book, so I, I realized every chapter begins and ends with a, a story on Disneyland, and mm-hmm. it was it was entirely fascinating. Um, I have my own personal souvenir stop <laughs> that, that I've created in the book and notes throughout the book for myself. So I, I can't I can't advise people enough to purchase the book, but. Speaking of Walt's adversity, so as I read in the book, I was shocked to learn of your own personal adversity as well, too. So let's talk about that. What was the what was the dramatic changes in your life as you started? Uh, you know, <laughs> please. Yeah, well, you know, again, the, the the first part of that journey was running over my electronics on the ninety one freeway, <laughs> and like I said, I mean, I made that decision. There was never going to be another day that I didn't work on my dream, and so. Um, the next morning, I walked into the office of the chair of our history and government department, and I pitched what I knew was a Mickey Mouse idea. And in that meeting, I learned that when he was a student 30 years ago at USC, lo and behold, he had worked as a cast member at Disneyland. And uh, it, instead of you know throwing me out of his office and throwing me off campus, he actually loved the idea. And so for an entire year, I got to work on that dream. And the class has a syllabus, it's got curriculum, it's got lectures, it's got a textbook. Uh, we, we bring in uh, guest speakers from Southern California. We take a field trip to Disneyland. We take a field trip to Garner Holt Productions in San Bernardino, today the largest uh, maker of audio animatronics anywhere in the world. And we had all of that laid up and we had all of it lined out. And exactly one year to the day of running over my electronics, 365 days later, I walked into a classroom and gave that very first lecture in our History of Disneyland class, which is wonderful. I I really want to challenge listeners to think about what it would look like, what it would feel like to see your dream come true. And just trust me on this. It's awesome. It's just an amazing feeling, an amazing experience. And then oddly and ironically enough, the very next day, I was then diagnosed with a brain tumor. And the neurosurgeon at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles said to me, Jeff, it's life-threatening. It's got to come out. Today's Friday. 
and I need you back here for brain surgery on Tuesday. And uh, because of the invasiveness of the surgery, forget the status of the tumor, just because of the invasiveness of the surgery, I was going to be out of work anywhere from six to eight weeks, which meant the class would be canceled, wiped from the schedule, probably never to be seen or heard from uh, again. And it was in that moment, Peter and Chris, that I came to realize even more than an idea, more than a crazy thought, even more than a dream, this idea that we can see our own dreams come true based on Walt's story and the Disneyland, Walt Disney World story, that had become a passion so much so that I was willing to lay down my life for it. And so I looked the neurosurgeon in the eye and I said, sorry, doc, but you're not touching me on this Tuesday or any Tuesday in the near future. And so we actually delayed brain surgery for two and a half months so I could teach a college level course on the history of an amusement park. Wow. That is dedication and commitment. (laughs) I have to imagine the electricity that was going through the morning, the first morning of teaching your Disneyland course. It it, it was probably felt by your wife and and family, you know, just to see that come through. Yeah, no, it was it was super, super, super cool. And uh, I, I think even more than than what we were experiencing, when I walked into that classroom, I, I've never seen students so excited, so engaged, um, never seen students with that much anticipation to be taking a general education history class. And so, yeah, it was a dream for me to teach, but for our students, it was a dream for them to be able to take it. Wow. So... Here's what I, I'm dying to ask this. So I know you mentioned that, uh, was it the dean who gave you approval for the course? Um, I have to imagine, even though he was a cast member, what was the expression on his face when you pitched the idea? <laughs> How high were the eyebrows raised? I mean, I just got to know at that point. So, Well, you know, Walt famously, um, you know, had a raised eyebrow if any of the cast members, Imagineers, animators were, were doing something that he wasn't really sure of and I got a very similar sort of eyebrow um, you know from our, our history and, and government chair but as I walked him through uh, what the class would look like and challenged him to recognize that the park is really a mirror and is really a reflection of who we are as a people and we see that mirror held up in the park's history, whether it's the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or beyond. The story that Disneyland tells is a story that reflects the story of American life and American history from the day that the park opened. So, for example, if you go onto YouTube and you watch the opening day broadcast, and all one hour and 15 minutes can be, can be viewed in its entirety... What you will instantly discover is everyone who walks in the gate is that perfect sort of, you know, father knows best, leave it to beaver family that we readily associate with American life and American culture in the 1950s. Um, There's no diversity. And in fact, um, you know, the only presence of minorities is either A, as a celebrity. So, for example, Sammy Davis Jr., or B, um, someone who's playing a, a stereotypical role like Aunt Jemima. And um, unfortunately, that's an accurate reflection of who we thought we were as the American people back in the 1950s. So much so that I actually had a student one year, I think it was wonderful, write an essay on what he thought Tomorrowland should have been 
1955. And rather than it being this vision of an atomic future and an industrialized America in 1986, what if Walt had had the vision of a Tomorrowland that created opportunities for all of America, a, a Tomorrowland that eliminated the glass ceiling on women, a, a, a Tomorrowland that better reflected who we are demographically today rather than simply focused on technology, which I thought was a really fascinating take on what Tomorrowland could have been. Absolutely. So, Jeff, I know from reading the book what your favorite attraction is, and it's, and it's not necessarily an attraction per se, um, so it's an entire chapter, it seems to be designated to that. And it's really enlightening what you choose. But let's take you to Disneyland. And if it, if it wasn't what you selected in the book, could you give me a list of, over time, what's developed into your go-tos and your favorite attractions and your can't-miss sites in Disneyland? Sure. Um, well, I, I write about it in the book. Uh, they have the park bench that Walt was sitting on Within, in Griffith Park when he took his uh, two daughters to the merry-go-round. And, you know, that bench is a source of motivation and inspiration to me of how Walt changed our world based on a single idea. And we almost never go to Disneyland that I don't stop and, and pay a, vi a visit to the park bench um, as sort of an opportunity to, again, get motivated and, and get inspired. My personal favorite ride, if you will, is Space Mountain. I don't necessarily think it's Disney's best ride, per se, but the attraction that makes me happiest and the attraction that tells me I'm at my favorite place is is when I am on uh, Space Mountain. Uh, in, in terms of best attraction, I, I think the Indiana Jones adventure here uh, in, in California is something absolutely not to be missed. If, if someone were to come to Disneyland and they say, look, just put me on one ride so I can get it. Uh, I, I would put them on Indiana Jones because mm -hmm. I, I think it really is um, uh, the, the most impressive uh, uh, attraction. Uh, some of the others that are real personal favorites, um, my wife and I, we, we absolutely love Peter Pan. Um, that attraction is all about awe and, and, and wonder. It's her personal favorite. And so, uh, you know, if we're there at rope drop at the start of the morning, uh, and we don't want to wait, you know, the inevitable 45 minutes. We will try and rush to Peter Pan first. Because if you can ride it in the first 10 minutes, then, you know, you don't have that uh, interminable wait. <laughs> if you miss that window, then you might as well come back and, you know, ride it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when every other attraction at that point ha has a 45-minute line as well. So I think for me, um, uh, Space Mountain for sure, Indiana Jones, uh, Peter Pan. And then another... Uh, real personal favorite is, is Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, I, I think in terms of the evolution in audio animatronic technology, the way in which it had originally been envisioned as a walkthrough wax museum, but then because Walt was willing to take the risk of bringing Disney-style entertainment and attractions to the East Coast by way of the New York World's Fair, which gave him an opportunity uh, to do It's a Small World so that when they brought It's a Small World home to Disneyland in 1966, they not only brought that attraction and that story, but the boat technology as well, which then got deployed in Pirates of the Caribbean. And I always think of Walt when I'm on that ride because that is the very last attraction that Walt Disney himself personally worked on. Uh, the attraction opened in March of 1967 
and and Walt would die, you know, just a couple of months before it officially opened. Awesome. And you know, Jeff, I know you mentioned uh, your favorite ride there. Uh, how many days, or have you you've been able to to ride it finally again? Correct. Yeah. So um, the good news is we were able to delay the surgery, teach the class. Uh, go in and, you know, have the tumor removed and, you know, fortunately discovered that it was not cancerous. But in that post-op meeting, uh, you know, the good news was no cancer. The the bad news was uh, they grounded me from almost all of the attractions for 24 months. And so, you know, I, I missed out on, you know, Space Mountain, Indiana Jones, Flash Mountain, even Pirates of the Caribbean because of the two drops. I, I missed out on all of those uh, for a full two years. I, you know, I you know, taught the class um, without, you know, getting on the rides, you know, given I don't know how many tours to private parties, again, without getting on the rides. But finally, uh, that long wait came to an end on July 24th of this past year. And as I write about in the book, uh, you know, the very first attraction that I experienced was Space Mountain. I said in the book that I would be on there at 8.05 on the morning of July 24th, and I actually stepped into my rocket at 8.13. So we were off by about seven minutes. And uh, I loved it so much that we rode it three times in a row. And then we just went and experienced all of the attractions that I had missed the most during that two-year um, you know, absence. And so we went from Space Mountain, you know, to Pirates of the Caribbean, to Indiana Jones, to Star Tours. Uh, and, you know, there were other attractions that I did get to experience. Say, for example, I don't know how many times I rode It's a Small World during those two years. Um, so it's going to be a while before I want to get back on those because I did them maybe a little bit too much uh, while we were having to sit out. Wow. Uh- Jeff, I remember, and, and Pete, so in his book, you know, he actually states his timetable. So I remember on Instant Messenger through social media, I sent Jeff a message back in, like, uh, June, and it was like, hey, Jeff, 31 days to go to your ride Space Mountain. <laughs> and before you know it, Jeff and I are having a conversation. I'm thinking, oh, I'm taking up this poor guy's time. But, uh, yeah, no, I could imagine the countdown was probably not by days. It was by hours in your mind. So. Well, it, it, it really was, and... Uh... What's sort of interesting, I haven't really had much of an opportunity to talk about this, but there were a lot of people from across the country who, you know, really sort of wanted to be a part of this idea that I was forced to sit out for two years and then would get to, you know, start writing everything again on, you know, July 24th. And so I would I would get random messages from, you know, complete strangers. Hey, 45 days to go. Hey, you know. You know, two more weeks, which I, I thought was really super cool. And we we actually spent that weekend at Disneyland. The 24th was on a Sunday uh, this past summer. And so we were at um, Disney California Adventure on Saturday and, you know, stayed in Anaheim so that we could be there, you know, first thing on the morning of the, of the 24th. And it, it dawned on me, hey, wait a second. Um, you know, as long as you're in line when, when the park closes and closing – on Saturday night was midnight. As long as you're in line, <laughs> don't let you ride. I and see so where I this is going. Making an argument to my wife, and you have to realize, my, you know, Nikki was the enforcer in all of this. So, um, you know, I started making the argument to her. I'm like, well, what if we went over to Space Mountain and got in line at like 11:59, and if the wait's like 45 minutes, then I'll be riding it at like you know 12:44. 
So it would still be July 24th, and I will have waited the two years exactly like the doctor said that I had to. And the number one reason why I didn't do that is because I knew there were so many people who, you know, were anticipating hearing that I finally got to write everything again on the morning of July 24th. And so we ended up waiting until 8 a.m. simply because there was so much anticipation from so many people having read The Wisdom of All. Was it was it as good as you remembered? You know, it was actually better, and 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 here's why. Um, first of all, I, I was really nervous that I was going to miss the new overlay of Hyperspace Mountain. Uh, they put that in in November of 2015, and I was really excited about it. And I was also nervous because I'm like, well, how long is this going to last? And the initial announcement was that it was going to last until May, which I was really upset about because if it ended in May then I was going to miss it entirely. Now, my daughter happened to snap when I was complaining to her about, you know, having to miss Hyperspace Mountain. She said to me, well, you know, Dad, if you'd have had the surgery when you were supposed to, (laughs) this wouldn't be a problem now, would it? Well, as it turned out, Hyperspace Mountain ended up being so popular that they extended it, so I I didn't have to worry about missing it. And uh, I I love the overlay. I I think they did a, a, a really fantastic job with it. But I, I think the other you know, piece to all of that is long before I was thinking of doing a college-level course, my dream of writing a book about Walt and Disneyland probably goes back two decades at least. And so to be able you know, to go through brain surgery and teach the class and ultimately write the book and then get back on those uh, attractions was really just sort of a a, a sense of accomplishment and a sense of completion that I don't know that I'd ever felt in my life before. That's awesome. Jeff, before we talk about your future plans, um, I know we've talked about the book briefly, and again, I can't inspire people enough to go to Amazon and go to Jeff's website, which is the wisdom of and buy the book. Um, and I know, I know, I know when I purchased it, Jeff, Jeff autographed the inside and that's, that was, that was really awesome. Um, what else would you like to leave people about the book? What would be a message you'd like to leave them about it? Well, you have an idea kicking around in your head. You, you have some sort of crazy thought that other people don't believe in it. Maybe it's so crazy you yourself don't even believe in it quite yet. Um, I would like to think that we all still dream. And in 2016, we need your idea. We, we need your dream, just like in 1955, we needed Walt Disney and his dream of Disneyland. And so if you need a little bit of inspiration, if you need a little bit of motivation, if you need a little bit of Disney magic to get your life, your idea, your dream back on track, I I really want to encourage you to pick up a copy of uh, The Wisdom of Walt. And as you go through that journey, um, you know, I, I like to be as responsive as possible to as many readers as possible. And so when you pick up The Wisdom of Walt, you not only get a book, but you can start a conversation with me. And I'll be happy to answer any questions or to provide any encouragement that you might need to move forward on whatever your dream might be. It, it's so true. It, it, look at Jeff. Uh, Jeff was able to go and field calls from kooks like Pete and myself too. So, so we're examples of that. So, so Jeff, I know um, you finished your. Obviously, you finished the Wisdom of Walt. What's 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 
coming next? What's going <laughs> going forward? Are we going to get another book? Are we going to get down to, say, Florida for another book? Well, it's, it's funny you should ask that. Um, you know, Walt once said that as long as there is imagination left in the world, Disneyland will never be finished. Uh, I, I write in the wisdom of Walt about always having the next. And when I finished the wisdom of Walt and it finally went out into the marketplace, it was just this huge, you know, sense of relief of, of having, you know, this burden of a story inside of you finally out there. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was, I was really ready to move on, but the response has been so overwhelming and, you know, so many, you know, questions have come uh, about Disneyland and Walt and, you know, really his vision of what he wanted to see happen in Florida. And unfortunately, you know, died before that could, could become a reality that I started to realize there's more here. And so we're actually about two thirds of the way through the follow up book. Um, it's going to be entitled uh, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt leadership lessons uh, from the vacation kingdom of the world. And what we're going to do in that book, or what we are doing in that book, is telling stories from Florida and telling stories not just from Walt, but from the leaders and the Imagineers who picked that vision and picked that dream up and helped make it possible after Walt's passing in 1966. That sounds fantastic. Has it been picked up from your publisher already, hopefully? Yeah. So no, this is a going forward, definite gonna, yeah, gonna see light of day. No, it's a, it's 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 scheduled for a July first release date, and uh, it's going to be published by Aviva again. And uh, Al Kessel has agreed to do the audio. He did the audio version for uh, the original book, and has already agreed to do the audio version uh, for Beyond uh, the Wisdom of Walt. And uh, you know. I think what's, what I'm really excited about is I had never written a book before, so I had no idea how to market and release such a thing. And I'm sort of looking forward to the second one, and for no other reason, uh, we, we've got a little bit of experience, and you know, we, we kind of know what we did 18 months ago. Jeff. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So. Well, Jeff, thank you. Jeff, we follow you on social media as well, on Facebook and on Twitter, and, and, and seeing you know, how the wisdom of Walt really developed in the marketplace and how it's, and I, you don't use the word lightly exploded. I mean, with your speaking engagements and, and, and the various conferences, tell me, how has that been? I mean, what, what, what has been the strangest and what has been the coolest part about that? Cause I imagine, I mean, I know the, the, the labor was, was difficult at times producing the book, but to actually see the response to it, tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's been a crazy journey. Uh, there's just there's just no other way to say it. It, it has um, just you know been phenomenal, uh, both here in Southern California and, and and across the country. It has opened you know doors and avenues and, and opportunities that I never imagined would be possible. So, for example, um, you know the first month that the book was out, I had a, an opportunity to go to D23, the you know ginormous Disney fan event in Orange County. And, you know, I, I got to sit in the Anaheim Convention Center and sign books next to folks like, you know, Dick Van Dyke and Ed Asner, which is just really, 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 you know, super cool. I think for anybody, but especially for, for, for Disney fans. And, uh, you know, other things that have happened, we, we flew to Connecticut last February and I spoke to 500 leaders 
in the HVAC and plumbing business from, you know, the Northeast, which, you know, you don't normally think of like, you know, amusement parks and Disney <laughs> with that particular demographic and, and, and clientele. But we were able to connect Walt's life and the story of the park to the challenges that they're facing in, in their own business. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a, a moment afterwards where a gentleman came up to me. Uh, they had flown us out and, you know, had paid me to do, you know, the presentation for the evening. And they purchased, you know, 300 copies of the Wisdom of Walt to, you know, give to their people. And a gentleman walked up to me afterward and asked if I would sign his book. And, you know, of course, I was more than happy to do that. And then he said to me, um, but I don't want you to sign it to me. I, I, I need you to sign it, you know, to my, to my wife. My presentation that night was on mastering the four C's. Walt had said, if you want to be successful, it really comes down to mastering four C's. And for Walt, those four C's are curiosity, courage, confidence, and consistency. And so we had talked about all four of those C's during the presentation that night. He looked at me and he said, she could really use a shot of courage tonight. She's battling breast cancer. And, you know, the idea that I could have done anything that could be a source of comfort or a source of inspiration for anyone going through that sort of challenge and that sort of struggle um, is is really very humbling. And, and you realize in your own small way that your crazy idea and your crazy dream may actually make a difference to at least one other human being on the planet. Awesome. Well said, buddy. Jeff, you know, we've we've taken up a lot of your time today, and I appreciate you even joining us here on the show. If anyone wanted to contact you, can you uh, let, let, let's plug what you'd like to plug. How can people get in contact with you? <laughs> well, they can find me uh, at the website, which is thewisdomofwalt.com, and, uh, you know, they can email me, Jeff, at thewisdomofwalt. Uh, I'm on Facebook as uh, Jeff Barnes. Uh, the book also has its own uh, Facebook page, uh, The Wisdom of Walt. I'm on social media uh, at Dr. Disneyland, and you know the book is available not just at my website, but on Amazon as well. And Amazon is uh, carrying all uh, modes in which the book is available. So, for example, you can get the hard copy on Amazon, the soft cover, the ebook, and the audio book. So, you know whether you want to listen to it, read it electronically, you know a, a lighter soft cover or a beautiful personalized hard copy. Uh, whatever your preference is, the wisdom of Walt is available for you. And I should say the uh, the audiobooks on audible.com as well too. Yes, so, it is. So I know uh, it's it's it, I think it's almost about eight hours long or so, but when you when you start playing it, it, it might as well be 40 minutes because it goes by so fast when you're listening to it. So um, good to hear. Awesome. So Jeff, um, as we're starting to bring this show to a close, I have something I do with all of the guests on our show and excuse me that is we've put together back when the lottery was like one and a half billion dollars we put together (laughs) the idea of we've the three of us had won and we were going to open a fifth gate at disney world it's going to be all extinct attractions or restaurants or shows whatever it is that is no longer available in florida and I always ask our guests, what's one thing you'd want to add to that park? 
Well, I'm going to sort of skirt that answer for just a little bit. And, I, and I'm going to say this because uh, last Thursday marked the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney's death. And I had recently seen a poll online about what attraction do you miss the most at Disneyland or, or, or Walt Disney World. And that survey, in conjunction with the anniversary of Walt's death, got me thinking that I think the attraction we miss the most, at least at Disneyland, is the man himself. Uh, Disneyland was so personal to Walt. And, uh, you know, he you know spent as much time in the park as possible. You know, he was really the first undercover boss, you know, riding the Jungle Cruise multiple times, making sure that guests were getting the best experience. Uh, you know, he would often be the engineer on the train on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, you could find him in the ice cream shop scooping ice cream on a on a you know Sunday night. So, you know, if there was any way to bring Walt himself back, obviously that would be that would be number one. And then in terms of actual rides or actual attractions that no longer exist, I, I miss the Skyway. Uh, it was just a, a, a beautiful way uh, to go from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland and, and back again. It was just an awesome way to get an aerial view of, you know, the, the beautiful park that Walt had built for the world. And it was another attraction that my daughter and I always rode together. And, uh, you know, I, I missed the Skyway if for no other reason. You know, she's grown now, and the Skyway represents not just an attraction that's gone, but an era in my own life that's gone as well. That is a great choice. I never got to ride the Skyway myself, so... And instead, now we have the tangled toilets. So, hey, <laughs> somehow we got back to peeing again. I don't yeah. understand this. Hey, well, you know, it all comes full circle. <laughs> hey, Pete, that's what uh, that's what you call from Jeff. That's a mic drop, right? With both Walt go. Disney and the Skyway. Yeah, that's it's a mic kind drop. of hard to beat either of those. So, yep. All right. So let's bring this to a close. Jeff, we appreciate you joining us today. We appreciate you taking a little bit of time. Um, and again, if you wanted to order Jeff's book, The Wisdom of Walt, go to his website, thewisdomofwalt.com, or find it on Amazon as well, too. So for my friend Pete, for myself, for my friend Jeff, yeah, for my friend Jeff, I want to say it. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. See you, everybody. <laughs>